But uh, it's the second day of spring, and uh, we got plenty of uh, rain, plenty of water, and that's, that's going to kind of fit in with the text today that we deal with. So uh, it's just uh, perfect. We have a laver out there for cleansing. Now, I don't know how long my voice is going to go today. I can feel it going out. I did earlier. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll see how long it lasts and the power of God, and He can keep it going till the, uh, the end of the day here, right? Anyway, you guys come here today to get your life changed. How many here want to get your life changed? Anybody? Got any? Some do, some don't. No. <laughs> well, it's a constant change, isn't it? Sometimes our lives, though, we look at them and we feel overwhelmed. You ever felt overwhelmed? You ever felt hopeless sometimes? You ever felt fruitless? Maybe that's a better word to put it. And I want you to know that uh, God has tremendous grace. God has tremendous hope. And uh, I know that none of you struggle with that doctrine. None of us struggle with that. We believe it. We know it to be true. But yet, does it really apply to us? Do we really, really believe it when we see the things of God and, and what He can do? I just want you to know that God is always at work. And he's always doing it. Uh, and I know that somebody could be saying this. Yeah, I know it's true. I absolutely 100% agree with it. But you know what? It's not for me. I mean, I believe the truth. I'm a Christian. But all that stuff, it's, it's for everybody else. It's for, it's for Sally. It's for Jim. It's for whoever. On and on and on. But... I'm just, I don't know what it is, I'm just different. And uh, I just i just don't have victory, I just don't feel like it. It's not God's problem, I know it's not Him, it, it's just me, you know, I'm the problem. And that's just the way it's going to be from here on out. Now, it would be awful easy to think that way, and I'm sure in some ways all of us have been there in, in some way. My desire is to reach every one of us with the fact of the, the gospel does change us and it's continuing to do it, it's constantly do it. Well, how can I reach you if, if you were to be in that situation? Well, the only way that I can do it is what Paul called in 1 Corinthians the foolishness of preaching. <laughs> That's the only way that I can reach you. I, I believe that because it's the very power of the Word of God. It's, there's nothing in me. I can't change a person. I can't change their thoughts. And sometimes, you know, I wonder, well, you know, here we are every week. We preach the Word. You know, we, we sing and pray and, and do everything that worship is about. And sometimes I could almost wonder, how can 60 minutes of my preaching change anybody's life? And the answer is it can't. How can I, just by talking, change you? And I can't. But the Word of God does. God has ordained preaching. And so that's what we do. We do it week in and week out. We preach the Word. I believe we're faithful to that and that we stick with it. And so the foolishness of preaching can sometimes be that way and it can be... I think it can be to some people. I already know that, and, and uh, so you know. And, and I know it's not going to change me anyway. But I'll just go through the motions. I'll do my church. How can preaching do anything for you? This is what God has ordained, and He's used a, a nothing instrument of me to bring this through to change people's lives. I don't understand it. I never had the gift of, te- of teaching. I never had the gift of, of preaching before I became a Christian. I mean, I didn't want to speak to anybody. I didn't want to speak in front of a class, do oral book reports. I never wanted to do that. Never had it in mind at all. And, I, and if I had had my way, I'd never just done anything. But in some way, God made me do things that I would not have naturally done. And in and of itself, talking is not going to do it. But I want you to know that the gospel has the hope. And regardless of how flimsy my voice is today, the gospel is still going to be there because we're going to be doing the Word of God.
You can leave this room today changed. And that's what the whole purpose is. We should change every time we get into the Word of God. We have so much junk and stuff in our lives that needs to be deposited and gone forever. And we hang on to ourselves so much. And we should say, God, just change me because I'm tired of myself. Well, great. That's where He wants you to be. But it's not because of me, but it's because God has chosen to give peace and hope and joy through this ridiculous thing that I do called preaching. And I put that in quotes because it's not ridiculous. Preaching is not foolishness, but that's the way that Paul put it in the sense of the way the world would look at it. God's power. His power is in His Word and it has the answers for our lives. So let's get into the Word today and let's let Him change us some more as we look at the teaching of the tabernacle. We uh, have an ongoing study here of the tabernacle in Exodus which focuses on what? Worship. I mean, that is what we love to do, isn't it? It's what we're made for. By using these objects and these priests, God is showing His people a physical illustration of what it is to worship Him. So we get senses the the smell the you know the taste the sight the hearing touch all of those come into play whenever people go to worship God at the tabernacle not only is it some kind of uh, a thing where God is spiritual and you can't experience that God is spiritual but he gets the senses involved in the tabernacle What we continually also see is the need for atonement. So over and 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 over again, you'll see the blood mentioned. The atonement is there everywhere. We have to be reminded constantly that we have been atoned for. So God just stresses that. And the reason for the atonement is that that's how our sins are taken away. The atonement does it. We must be purified before we stand before a holy God. We looked at that last week, didn't we? The priests had to be purified. Um, they had to be have something done before they could be standing before the great high priest. The great high priest is the one who was the pure one, the holy one. And we can stand confidently before the Lord God Almighty because of what our great high priest has already done. That's why we have... The opportunity to always go into the throne room. Right now, we're in the throne room. (laughs) And we should be constantly all day long, shouldn't we? Christ was our offering. Christ was our sacrifice. And that sacrifice, that offering was perfectly accepted by the Father. You can be assured of that. That sacrifice is what accepted My own sacrifices, if they were by themselves, would be dung before Him. But the great high priest's sacrifice is perfect. So, we look further as we go on to this uh, study this week into more articles and furniture of the tabernacle. Move this guitar. I know what's going to (laughs) happen. My big size 18 feet (laughs) are going to stumble on that and we're going to have a nice cord come out in a moment. Okay, the first thing we're going to run into is the altar of incense. Oh, wow, the altar of incense. What's that? Well, verses 1 through 10, we'll get some details here, and then we'll try to figure out what's going on here. Starting at verse 1, You shall make an altar to burn incense on you. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its width. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. 
two gold rings you shall make for it under the moldings on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. I'll get that. This is about holiness here. Okay. Our title of this message is Sweet Aroma at the Tabernacle. And and we'll see how that plays into this as we move along through the chapter. Now we're at the altar of incense. Okay? And the altar of incense, matter of fact, if uh, we'll have some pictures up, I think, in a little bit. Anyway, the altar of incense is between the altar of sacrifice, that burnt offering, and where the tent is at. Or, or the altar of I'm sorry, well, well, that's the labor. <laughs> we have to go into the tent first. That's what we're going to look at first. I'm going backwards here. We'll get into that a little bit later. That's a labor. It is in the tent just before you go into the holy place. And so when, when you look at this piece of furniture, it's made of gold. It's in the tent. The closer you get to the Lord, the more expensive the items are. You'll remember that they're made of gold inside there. Outside, they are made of bronze and uh, lesser ingredients. But this is not the altar of sacrifice, but the altar of incense. Now, a priest can't go to that altar until there has been a sacrifice on the brazen altar first. And then next he goes to the labor, washes his hands because of all the blood. Then he goes and ministers into the tent all the way to the altar of incense as he puts that on there. So Moses is is waiting here to this chapter now to explain what these pieces are. So we see there's the difference. No animal sacrifices are going to go on that altar of incense. Now, I want to explain to you. This whole tabernacle and the courtyard is a great microcosm of the universe. I want you to think of God's created order, the universe. So what's going on? The outer courtyard represents the earth. There you have the priest, the people. They're on the earth ministering. They do the sacrifices there at the altar. That's the earth part. And the labor, that's the earth, keeping themselves washed. And we'll get into that part a little bit later. But as you go into the tent, there you have the spheres of heaven. You have two spheres of heaven. It's like two rooms. The holy place is divided off by a curtain. But if you go into that place that is of gold, and it's brilliant in there, this is the holy place, and then the most holy place, you see what is uh, happening here. You have the earth and you have the heavens. The heavens are divided. You have the heavens that are above us, the skies, and then the place where God lives. So do you see what's going on? We're down here on earth. God is in the heavens. But yet He's still with us at the same time. Incredible, isn't it? Now, imagine a two-room tent and how easy it would be for the incense to actually carry on, to seep on in through a fabric. Could that be done if you had heavy incense going? Could the smell go through this fabric on into the holy place? Yes, it could. If you had concrete, and you had some incense burning, would it be able to get through? Well, slightly. I've heard of guys in dorm rooms, and they'd be smoking some things that wouldn't be legal. (laughs) 
and it could actually be smelled into the next room or outside into the hall. And so they get caught because that's happening. You've heard of those kind of things probably. Maybe not. (laughs) It's okay. But there's a veil here. Definitely it would go through there. We know also, Zach, I might have you put that up. There is the altar of incense in the holy place all the way back to the back. And what's separating it from the holy place is the veil, the curtain. And uh, so that is uh, the place where the, the incense would go. Now, what's the point here? And there it is with uh, detail before that with the articles, um, the tools and such uh, instruments that will be used on it and with, the, with the poles and everything, and the bowls and what have you. If you could put on picture number one and two there, Zach, what we're going to do is back up here a little bit and it's going to be, yeah, uh, right there. You'll notice that there are two pillars of smoke going up, one in the outer tabernacle and one in the, at the altar of incense going up. And you can say, well, what's going on here? Well, the answer is, is that the sacrifices are being burnt every morning and every evening here on earth. That's what they were doing. What was happening in heaven at the same time? Well, the incense is burned and it's going towards heaven. What's the incense meant to show God's people? That's the question of the hour. What is the incense meant to show God's people? Well, we're going to hold with that and we're going to tell you next week. Just kidding. (laughs) Here it is. Are you ready? The altar of incense represents what happens to the smoke of sacrifice as it is burned on the earth outside in the Macau courtyard. The incense offering was a transfiguring of the burnt offering as it went to heaven. We're right on into the holy place there. The altar of sacrifice, okay, it's out there. They burn that. That goes up. But it's the incense, that sweet-smelling aroma that is also going up to the heavens, transfiguring the burnt offering. Now, the altar sacrifice is overlaid with bronze. That's on the outside. It's bronze. The altar of incense was overlaid with gold. So you have earth, you have the holy place, gold, the sky. closer you get the more beautiful He becomes. You getting the sense of that? The closer today, as you get to Christ, as you learn of Him, not know just about Him, but know Him, the more beautiful He is. That's why we sang that song, Beautiful One. Is He beautiful to you? Is He becoming more beautiful? And He'll become more and more beautiful as you realize who He is. So the most expensive furniture is back there in the tent. When the people saw the smoke rising, it meant that God was receiving the people's offering. The priest had gone back there to the altar of incense and was burning that incense. And it was related to the offering and the sacrifice that was from the burnt offering. A vivid illustration, isn't it? God is accepting the people's offering. When they see that going up, they're saying, praise God, He's accepting our offering. Look what the priest did for us as he went in there and it's being accepted by God the Father. The people must have been joyful about that. That's a great illustration. He's accepting their worship as they came that day. So you have the smell, you're seeing that. You have the the smoke and it's proving that the burnt offering has been transfigured into an acceptable act of worship. You know what the New Testament does, especially in the book of Revelation, at, uh, in chapter 5? It identifies that rising incense with the prayers of the saints. Go to Revelation 5, verse 8. And this is a look into the future here. <laughs> the can you imagine the day when we're before Him and see it in a, in a more visible way than we see it just through word here? 
5.8 Now when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. This is in the throne room of of heaven. They're standing before God. In verse 4, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascending before God from the angel's hand. Wow. That is the picture that they're getting of what happens when the great high priest goes before his father and he accepts that sacrifice. So the connection of the two altars here then, the burnt offering outside, the incense offering, the incense shows what happens to the smoke of burnt offering. It transfigures into a sweet fragrance of incense. God takes pleasure in that because that's what He told them to do. And they did it. What an act of worship. I want you to catch this. There are offerings for forgiveness of sins And there are prayers for forgiveness of sins. The offerings were outside on the burnt offering. There are prayers for forgiveness that go up before God from the altar of incense. There are offerings of adoration. And then there are prayers of adoration. There are offerings of intercession And then there are prayers of intercession. The Son did that for us. And then we as priests also do those too, don't we? As we pray for forgiveness, as we have uh, prayers of adoration, and as we have prayers of intercession. Whenever the priests burn this incense, I want you to catch this. Whenever they did that, at that exact time, it was a call to the people for a time of prayer. When the priest offered it in, went into the altar of incense, did that, they did it. Look in Psalm chapter 141, 1 and 2. Lord, I cry out to you, this is from David, Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. That morning, that an evening sacrifice. And David is talking about the incense. Let my prayers be as the incense is, as it goes up to you. As we do this, the evening sacrifice. More defined, it is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. Look at this. I think this is exciting. Here's what the people did just even before the time of Christ, just before he was born, just a little bit before John the Baptist was even born, when there was his father Zechariah, who was a priest ministering in the temple in Jerusalem. What do you have here? Chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. So it was that while he, that's Zechariah, was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, had so many Levites that they had to take turns. You might get a once in a lifetime chance. According to the custom of the priesthood, okay, the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense. It's his time. He gets to do it. What a privilege. To burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So they're still doing it at the time of the temple, right? Just like they did in the tabernacle days. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. 
When the priest took it in, the people are there, they're worshiping God, and their prayers are going up. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So that's where Zechariah went. Isn't that exciting? This is when the people were praying too. The priest is now doing it. They see the smoke go up, and that's the signal. That's the sign. Now they're praying, and they're all praying together. Man, that is powerful. That's the way that God designed it. It's beautiful, isn't it? Aren't you amazed by all the things that go on in the tabernacle and in the temple? God designed it that way. It's a good thing. Now, without that sacrifice on the brazen altar, there is no way that the priest could have gone on in to that altar of incense. It would not have been acceptable prayer. What's that mean to us? That's easy, isn't it? Had it not been for the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, without that sacrifice, our prayers are worthless before God. If we haven't trusted in the sacrifice, all prayers are meaningless without the intercession of Christ. That's why when the Muslims pray, their prayers are absolutely meaningless to the one great God in heaven that we know as God, not Allah. He's a demonized God. Imagine me saying that in this world today. That is politically incorrect, isn't it? And the God of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the God of the Mormons, the God of Hinduism, and the God of Buddhism is a stench before the great holy God. And you say, well, they mean well. They're trying to do with what the best that they can. No, they're not. Because they're not trusting in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's why He is the only way. There is no other way. Even Judaism without Christ is totally meaningless. That skin was shed. And it was always pointing towards the Messiah anyway. And so their prayers were only good because it pointed to the sacrifice of Christ. If they were trusting in that particular sacrifice, then their prayers were good. God honors that. Jesus on the cross. That's where our prayer is based upon, isn't it? The work of Christ at the cross. Everything is. So you have to think of the prayer of the mediator, don't you? The great mediator did all that for us so that we can go to Him. Now, just a, one little note here in our Exodus passage. About uh, verse 9, it says, uh, You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, or shall you bring a drink offering. None of those kind of offerings don't even bring those in here. Well, not too long after this, Nadab and Abihu, which happened to be the sons of Aaron, put strange incense on there. They, a strange fire. There was never to be a strange fire on that altar. And God is demanding that they follow exactly His perfect recipe, His mixture, and no others. Don't improvise. Don't try to make it different. Don't try to make it better because it's perfect. It's the only way they offered up a different mixture. And you know what God did? He blew them up in smoke. <laughs> they were gone. He took them. Because He said, don't do that. Don't mess with God's holiness. God is very serious whenever it comes to the things that He speaks. So this, this is definitely about His holiness. And as He closed out that section there in that uh, verse 10, He says, it is most holy to the Lord. So... We see what happens. Now there is the prayer of the tabernacle. We see how it related then and we see how it relates now. How about the payment for the tabernacle? The people had to keep this thing going. There's upkeep for the tabernacle. So in 11 through 16, God is going to prescribe the rules here and what they are to do. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them, this is what everyone among those who numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 giras. You guys knew that, didn't you? It's 20 giras. The half shekel should be an offering to the Lord. 
Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Well, I think it has a lot to do with atonement here. What do you guys think? It seems like everything has to do with atonement. Well, God is definitely reminding them constantly that there has to be this, this sacrifice, this atonement. And through this section, I think you see that everybody is to be involved here. He gives a, a, a census. And that's interesting. Just this week, uh, we got our census in the mail. You guys get your census yet? Fill it out mail it in. <laughs> Anyway, that's what they're doing here. Uh, counting the people. They're going to be in the army of the Lord. And that's uh, dealing with mustering up uh, the army. Taking the census. Now David did this uh, later on, but he did it on his own act. He was not prescribed by the Lord to do that. When he did that, it was a matter of pride. It was a matter of power that David had. And he wanted to show how great his army was. And that was his attitude. And God struck down many with disease because of that. Anyway, is to be collected from everybody. They're all involved here. It's a very minimal amount. It's a small amount, but you have all the people putting together a little small amount, and it's something that's going to keep the ongoing work in the tabernacle. And uh, so it's it's uh, it's easy to pay. Everybody can pay it. The rich, the poor, it doesn't matter. You pay the same amount. Just real simple. What's the spiritual significance with this? Atonement money. Well, the firstborn belongs to God. When you have a child, people knew that. That was a principle of redemption that they had. Um, The firstborn are His. Of course, He owns everybody, doesn't He? But that was representing that. Of course, they offered the sacrifice, and so they would keep them. They didn't sacrifice their sons and daughters like the pagans did, and then they would be be burnt up. The thing is, they don't offer them on the altar, but... Uh, they are considered to be the firstborn. The Lord owns them. It's just something for them to know that, hey, this is valuable to God. All, all Israel then was later to be considered the firstborn of God. So in this passage, we have an explanation here, I think, that helps us with the principle of redemption. We have been bought with a price. Christ paid for us. He did it with blood, didn't do it in coins, but He paid, paid for us. And we are owned by Him. Israel was His own. That pictured us, we are His own. Everyone needs atonement. Everyone needs to be bought and paid for. We need redemption. One is always reminded of atonement, whether it be at the burnt offering, whether it be um, here dealing with um, this particular offering of the the half shekel. It's called ransom money. There can be no fellowship without ransom. And ransom simply means this. Christ is our ransom. I think it's found in Mark where it says that Christ being our ransom for the many. The ransom for His chosen ones. His elect. He bought and paid for us. Okay, now that's the second thing that's being dealt with. The third one here, this outline is real easy today, isn't it? Because if you have study Bibles, you'll see them all divided up. This is about the renewal. This is the altar or labor that one gets cleansed at. There is the labor. They'd fill that up with water. The priest would be using it all day long. It's about renewal. You are in the presence of God and the renewal is required to enter. You must be washed. If the priests didn't wash, they were in danger of death. And that's really what it comes down to. If they didn't wash, as they did their ministering in that courtyard, 
they, they could die. So this is called the sacred sink. As they would do that, and they, they would have hands that would get dirty or bloody because of the sacrifices. Can you imagine? And their feet would get dirty, for that is dirt, sand. And so as they would minister into the tent, they would have to wash, clean their feet. They didn't have to get cleansed all over as we looked at, at last week. There's an anointing of that and there's the water that goes over all of them. It's like taking a bath. They don't need that as they do their daily serving. Are you catching this? You see what, how it happens to us? We don't need a bath again if we've already been baptized into Christ. We just need a daily washing. And so this is what this is representing as they did that every day, all day long. They would constantly be stopping at the sink, at the labor, lavatory. I, I always used to hear that as a kid. Go wash your hands in the lavatory. What? What's that? You guys out there, you ever heard of such a thing? The lavatory? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's, what is that? Where'd that come from? Oh, it must have come from this. I don't know. Or it came from that great tennis player uh, back years ago, Rod Laver. The Laver. I'm sorry about that. Only the people who were back in the 60s know who he was. Anyway, <laughs> if you like tennis, you probably heard of him. But The Lavers stood in the courtyard, and we see on this picture... Raise an altar for an altar, and there's the waiting, and then there's the tent, and there's the most holy place in the back, right? Okay. There has to be a basin. It has to hold water. Priests have to go washing constantly. As they approach the brazen altar, they had to wash as they go back in there, and their feet, dirty, hands, they're defiled, they handle the sacrifices. Because there's so much defilement going on, there's a constant need of washing that's happening there at the tabernacle. As they're on earth, right? The courtyard is representing the earth. As they're doing their work on the earth, they've got to be cleansed. So it's to us, it's more than just cleansing the hand. If you could just go clean your hands, you could feel so much cleaner on the inside, right? I've heard of people who uh, were in ungodly places doing ungodly things, they just felt dirty and they'd say, I'd have to take a bath just to feel clean again. And I'd say, why? Did you get dirt all over you? What, what happened? No, I just felt so dirty. I, there was some kind of a ceremonial cleansing. I don't know, but they felt so dirty inside and outside that that was one way that they could kind of get in their minds that this was, uh, they had to be cleansed. You ever felt like you had to be cleansed? The ongoing continual cleansing that's why if we don't have a daily cleansing, a constant cleansing, we feel dirty. We feel sinful. We feel guilty. And God provides the labor for us. The labor is always full. Full of clean water. Look in Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? You ever heard of this one? Or who may stand in His holy place? Who can have access right to God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. That's who can go in and worship God. This is what David used. That great Psalm 24, right? The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. That's where we're at. We're in the world, aren't we? And we get dirty and defiled because of it. We're polluted. But we're doing His work. And He is founded upon the seas and established upon the waters. And there, there we go. That, that cleansing. Renewal from above. There are, really, I guess you could say there's two sources of water. You already have the water that's down here on earth. You have it in, its, in our streams and in our lakes, right? The ponds. Water is there. It's great. The rivers. You like to go there and enjoy there. And, and uh, used to, you could take up your hand and just lap water into it. Don't do that today, but very polluted there. But, but that's, that's water. You know, that fresh running water there. Huh? 
But there's another source, and we saw it happen all day yesterday. God gave us water from the heavens. And it is water that is life-giving. And if we don't have water and we go dry, if we went months and months without it, even though that water table is saturated right now, if we went for a long time without ever having any more, it would dry up and things would die. All your plants that you take care of would die. You remember about three years ago, it seemed like we had such a drought going that all summer long everything was just drying up, turning brown, starting to look like desert. The grass wasn't green. It was all just crumbly as you would walk across it. And it represented death. They were dying. And water represents life, renewing power. So this renewal comes from the presence of God. It's a renewal in the presence of God. Well, how are we renewed today? How how can we be renewed? Hey, Dennis, I want to be renewed. I feel kind of dead. Well, we've been washed by the Spirit, right? That's that one time happening. But we're renewed daily. We need a continual cleansing. The renewal we need to enjoy God comes from God. Don't look at any other things to try to remedy it. Go to the water. Let's look at 1 John 1, nine, And already you know what it is. This is one of those great memory verses. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, we like that verse. Is that a promise? You feel just not with it. Feel kind of guilty? Go to the labor and wash. This is what we do. We go right to Him and confess our sins. That's one of the best things you can do as a priest is to go confess your sins before the great high priest. You are already forgiven, but there is the other sense of... He's showing you as you are confessing, which means to say the same thing. That you're agreeing with Him that the things that you have done or thought are not equivalent to what the Holy Spirit who lives in you wants. So you're saying that. If we go to 2 Corinthians 7, one. Oh, our flesh just wants to win all the time, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit says no, and there's a war going on. He says, therefore, having these promises, beloved. Do you like that? He says, okay, we have promises. And he calls them beloved. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God when we truly see His holiness and His greatness, we have a proper fear of God. We desire just to be cleansed. We're confessing confessing and, and repenting. We can't cleanse ourselves, can we? We can't go in there and cleanse ourselves and, and do that. Here's the question. Why do I keep sinning over and over again? Why do I keep having this problem? Everyone here has asked that to themselves. I know it. We've been there, haven't we? How can I continue to behave like this when I'm a Christian? I hate it. Why am I doing this? The marks of a Christian are confession and repentance. We sin. I'm not given credence to go and sin because we have all this grace, but the fact of the matter is we still battle with it and sometimes we lose some balance, don't we? When you confess, you know that God has renewal in your life. When you truly are repenting and confessing, God has renewal. The Word of God keeps us clean along with the conviction of the Holy Spirit who makes us want to confess and repent. You show me somebody who does not confess and does not believe in it, 
and says, hey, I don't have any sin. I'll show you one who's not a Christian. First John tells us about that. And he says, uh, you, you are deceiving yourself. And then he says, you're making God a liar. Right there in chapter 1, you know, as he moves on into the next verse. That's what he says. This is important. This is the labor. This is for us priests. This is what's going on in our daily life. We're getting, we're getting dirty. Filthy. And, and that's the way it's going to be. We, we battle. Look in John 15, verse 3. Is this stuff kind of practical? I would think so. This should give us... hope in the fact that there is grace and His promises. 15.3 says, You are already clean. Okay, If you're a Christian, you've already been cleansed because of the Word which I have spoken to you. Then He says, Abide in Me, which means to live in Me. Remain. Stick around. So He says, You're clean. But abide in me. Continue on in that. Um, go to John seventeen seventeen. Probably a page or two over. This is the great prayer that Jesus says to the Father. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify was me to be made holy. Our Second Corinthians seven one says that we are to be. It's more or less saying we are to be holy. God is holy. And of course, Peter says that. God is holy. We are to be holy. Here he says we are sanctified or made holy because of His truth. Because of His Word. Here's where you go to be washed. To be cleansed. Sanctified. Set apart. Look at Ephesians 5, 25-27. Here he's talking about a husband and wife analogy. But there's something more that's even deeper. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. Why? That He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. There is a beautiful cleansing, isn't it? The washing of water by the Word. That's how we're set apart, sanctified. That He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that we should be holy and without blemish. One time happening, but it's ongoing. The Word of God does that. In the Old Testament, there were different ways to be having a ceremonial cleansing. One of them was by water, which we see by the labor. We see fire also cleanses, and we see the blood cleanses. The animal sacrifices and then the blood was to be poured over the, you know, and, and put on the priest's uh, hands and, and feet and such. We're cleansed from the guilt of sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where we always need to be thinking. It cleanses us when we confess that blood is continuing to, to kind of flow in that sense. Are you confessing and repenting of sin? If you are you are experiencing a renewal at the bronze labor. If you are confessing and repenting, you are being washed and cleansed right there. Confession and repentance. Listen to this. Listen to this. Confession and repentance are gifts of God. We don't have them of our own selves. When you are convicted... Praise God because you are. Because the Holy Spirit loves you so much, He doesn't want you to be in filth while you don't know it. Or you do know it and you're just rebelling. <laughs> you know, he says, here you have pure water here and you're drinking from the, this broken cistern. What in the world are you doing? Why are you there when this is pure here? Does that ever convict you? When you think about drinking dirty water, wow. Confession and repentance, they are gifts from God. It's not from you, it's from God. If you sin, 
and then you desire to turn away from that sin, God put it in your heart to do that. If you're an unbeliever, does it really bother you? Certain things might, but for the most part, does does an unbeliever uh, feel real guilty and bad about it because he's offended the holiness of God? (laughs) No, they might feel guilty because of guilt. Or because they might get caught. But you know what it's like to be renewed when, when you confess. You know those waters. Isn't it nice and refreshing when you know that that's a done deal and you move on, you're cleansed? Here's what the Puritans used to say about this. This is just one line. <laughs> this is about the shortest line you'll ever hear from a Puritan. <laughs> but they went on much further. But The repenting soul is the victorious soul. What do you think of that? The repenting soul is the victorious soul. Or, we could say it today, the repenting soul is the renewed soul. Have you been renewed today? Don't you like to be renewed? Refreshed? God's gift, confession, repentance, God's new mercies every morning, God's new grace every day. Fresh grace. Fresh mercy. Victory is found when you are depending upon Christ in the Gospel. That is victory. People have this secret thing that they have to get over, do certain things or whatever it is, and they can get victory finally. After years, they can get victory because if they do this enough and such. But it's just simple. Depending on Christ in the Gospel. It's a sign of grace, isn't it? Confession, repentance. Cleansing is always found at the basin. The basin is Christ. See the sacrifice, the altar, then you see the cleansing. Ongoing. We have one more thing. This is called the Holy Anointing Oil section or the fragrance of the tabernacle. This is interesting. Even down to the smells. You wouldn't think that that would be that much of value, that that importance. Well, that's coming from a guy's view. (laughs) Because I know the ladies. Ladies know about perfume. Now granted, some of us are allergic to certain perfumes. But this perfume in the tabernacle, nobody was allergic to. This was the perfect fragrance of all fragrances. I want you to think about it. You're having sacrifices done all day. There's a lot of bloodshed at the altar. It's becoming quite putrid. You know what blood smells like? When it's been around there and of course we see all this continual sacrifice maybe it needed a lot of oil of perfume ode of the oil the ode of tabernacle but this is not the biggest reason God gave fragrances for the tabernacle it could be one it definitely I think did its job there but the biggest thing is that God is present in the tabernacle. God is always there. You were always reminded that God is there. Read a little bit of this. I'm looking up there like this because I can't hardly see that clock. I didn't bring my watch today, but I think, does it say 1137? Oh, okay. I don't have to get new glasses yet. <laughs> I'm due. <laughs> okay. We'll read a little bit of this. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices. You caught that, didn't you? Quality spices. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. 
And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and the laver in its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it, according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, it shall be cut off from his people. Wow! This stuff must be something It must be incredible. And God says, don't make anything like it. Don't you be taking it back to your tents and trying to copy the tabernacle oil because you like it so much. He says, no, it stops right here. This is as far as it goes. Don't mess with it. Now your mind immediately says, hmm, wonder how much of this and that. This is a recipe. And it makes you want to say, I would love to smell this. Makes you want to do it right now, doesn't it? This must be something else. Okay. What's going on? Well, did you notice that everything in the tabernacle was to have this on it? Everything. All the priests. They would have this smell. Wherever you went in that tabernacle, you were going to smell this. This is what you're going to smell all day long. When... You know somebody that has a particular kind of perfume that they wear, and you smell them in the room, or you smell that smell, but you don't see them. You know who it is as they had walked by. You know, especially if they continue to wear that. You know, and you, it, it kind of like marks them who they are. Well, this is what God is doing. He's putting such a beautiful fragrance in this tabernacle that you can't miss it. It's representing the very scent of God, if I may. Does God smell? <laughs> he's, he's a spiritual God, right? But this is to remind them. They're seeing things, they're hearing things, they're touching things, right? They're using all their senses here and now the smell comes into play. It's permeating the whole place. That's what the people smell. So God gives us recipe. And it's a holy recipe. They were being set apart for God's use. All the instruments, all the furniture, everything in there. It's all being set apart to God. It's holy. It's all holy. They are being made aware of the fact that God is here. And it was not to be made anywhere else, right? This is, this is holy. This is a sacred smell. Go to Hosea chapter 11, verse 9. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst. I will not come with terror. I'm the Holy One in your midst. What was the tabernacle built for in the first place? So that I can dwell in the midst of you. Remember earlier, earlier chapter, that's why God said, I'm building this tabernacle so I can dwell in the midst of you. He's giving us all sorts of different teaching tools and now He even gives the fragrance of this wonderful aroma that is in this place. And I'm telling you, this stuff, I don't think has ever been duplicated. I don't think there's ever been a smell as sweet and, and beautiful as this. It says there in verse 23, also take for yourself quality spices. The best spices are hard to get a hold of. Great spices. 
Matter of fact, some of you ladies have probably traveled for 40 to 50 miles to go get certain spices that are the best and are the least expensive. Instead of buying little quantities like this at the grocery store, you can go to some of the Mennonite places up around Versailles and further around that area. There are places that you can get for bulk. And you go there maybe once a year and pick that, those great big uh, either containers or bags of, of spices. That's because it takes great work, a lot of people, to bring this all together to be the way that it is supposed to be. God says, I am valuable. That's what He's saying about Himself. I'm valuable. I am worthy. I want you to get the best. We've got gold and silver in this tabernacle. Now He says the spices and the perfumes, they're rare, they're hard to get. Where have they been? In Egypt. Do you remember who gave them the spoil from Egypt? Egypt, do you think they knew about spices? You know what they did with their dead, don't you? And you've got spices coming from all over the known world at that time. They come to the coast there and bring that there. So they have that available with them as they go out into the desert. You're saying, where do they get these spices? <laughs> God set this all up so they can get the gold and the silver and, and all the, the bronze and all of that stuff. They're not finding a lot of this stuff out in the desert out there, are they? They are equipped and ready. God knew what He was doing when He did all ten plagues. And so the people, they were ready to do whatever it would take to get rid of those people and we'll give you all of our good stuff. Go. God is an extravagant God. He is the best, the most worthy. He wants the very best for worship. One cannot do too much for him. He's talking about us as ourselves, the very best. Offer your best. Offer your best. He's to be treated as He is very valuable. He owns you. And say, take me, use me. Right? The smell, the aroma, it's not a stench. It doesn't remind you of death. Remember the blood, the animals, carnage, life, health. God is life. They smell life as they're working in the tabernacle. It means. He is the source of this. He is really where we get our life. He is life. Christ Himself is worthy of all praise, isn't He? Let's see something about praise. Go back to Exodus 15.11 after they crossed the sea. Moses wrote a song. And in verse 11, Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like You, glorious in holiness? There's nobody like You. Your holiness is just shining in an amazing way. Oh, the beauty. All these instructions were meant to prepare God's people for the ultimate manifestation of God's presence among them. Pointing to Christ. That's the ultimate expression of God being amongst His people. Worship is about what we value. What do you guys value? What is the most important thing to you? Here's the question that we lay out. What motivates you? What gets you really going in life? What are you living for? We were made to enjoy God. That's really what should motivate us. That's really what we should highly value. If there's anything else that you value over that, you are in the wrong territory. What motivates you is it Jesus Christ. It is He who we really have to value, who we adore, who we praise. That's what our life is about. The fragrance of the tabernacle is alerting the people of the presence of a holy God. What's that do you smell? 
the holiness of God. That's what they would smell when they would be near the tabernacle. As they would approach the altar. There is the incense, the fragrance going around. It's everywhere. The perfume, the anointing oil. The fragrance of the tabernacle is alerting us to the fact that God is of supreme value. Is that what He is to your life? Why does anything else really want to take its place? To take the beauty of Christ's place? No matter where you went in that tabernacle, the very presence of God, His aroma is there. And that's why we always need to be reminded of that. We should treasure Christ above everything else. He's our treasure. If He's not our ultimate treasure, then we lack vitality. We lack that life if we don't supremely value Christ. The supreme. We end here with this last little sentence. The aroma and sweet fragrance of the tabernacle alerts us to the presence of the holy God of supreme worth. Does Christ do that for you? We preach Christ crucified. Let's pray. Lord, we ask You to use the foolishness of this message, even despite the herald of this message, to bring glory to You. That we'd see the beauty, the wonderful fragrance of Jesus Christ the blessed grace, the fresh grace and mercy that You've given us this morning through Your Word, that it would truly honor You, that we would see the glory of Your great holiness as we go out into the courtyard to serve You. In Your Son and in the great High Priest's name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.